You know, it's said that uh, we speak 100 to 125 words a minute. Now, I don't know how that's measured, but that's sort of what you learn. And they're taught, we're taught in communication courses that you can hear four times faster or more than that. So what happens in a conversation? If someone's talking, like right now I'm talking to you, and you're thinking about, oh, I know someone who's 90, or I, what do I have for lunch today? Or I've never been to Houston, or I wish this guy would finish. Or it's beautiful. Our brains are going all kinds of places, even though I'm talking to you. And when we're talking one-on-one to somebody, if you want to talk to him, it's cool. You want to listen. If you're kind of semi-interested, you have all sorts of ways you kind of, you know, glaze at them, and you might look around a little bit. And You know, we, ha- we all play these games. When someone's speaking, are we listening? Let's get the real big picture as we start this parable. God has spoken to man. Aaron did a beautiful job explaining this in worship. God has spoken to man. Are we listening? He spoke at creation, and creation began. And the God-man, Jesus, comes to this earth, fully God, fully man, lives 30-some years and change, talking. Are you listening? You don't have to read even, technically. You just have to be able to hear the Word of God. And that story is not just a bedtime story or another story or a narrative. It's the very Word of God that you hold in your hand. And I want you to open to Mark chapter 4 as we continue our study in the Gospel of Mark. We're looking at a parable today. Now, a parable is a figure or a type. It's a way of explaining something complex in a simple way. But Jesus Christ's parables are far more than just little stories. In fact, students will find the simplicity of these parables disappear very quickly as you dig into them. There are volumes written on these parables. It would, it would exhaust all of us a lifetime just to read what has been written about these simple parables. So at one level, they're simple. You can hear them once and relate them with probably 60-70% accuracy to someone else after hearing it one time. But if you were to study the structure and the analysis of the grammar, how it lays out, if we showed you slides of how this parable laid out, you'd be, your, your mind would be blown. But we're going to look at it at a high level today and try to make some basic applications. It's a very familiar parable of the soils, sometimes called the parable of the sower. Let's take a look at the setting in Mark chapter 4, the first two verses. He began to teach again by the sea. Such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. The whole crowd was by the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. He was saying to them in his teaching. Now, arguably, this is one of, if not the busiest day that the gospel record records. Notice in Mark's language, he was teaching them many things. He also says plural parables. We're going to look at a second part of this parable. Mark records fewer than the other synoptics. And again, I remind you, Mark is a shorter gospel. It's a little more compressed. It moves quickly. It doesn't miss anything. In fact, Matthew and Luke draw from the gospel of Mark in their record as well. But we're going to see Mark's record of this parable of the soils. Again, by the sea, which takes us back to two places in the gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verse 13, and 3, verse 17. We call these Mark and Sandwiches. He's making a structural narrative that makes a point, and we're going to see one of those points this morning in verses 10 and 11. In the synagogue, pragmatically 100 people-ish, and they would be men. 
Outside the synagogue, there's opposition. They want to kill him. So he moves outside the synagogue by the sea where thousands of people can come and do indeed come, including men, women, and children who are all coming because they're either curious or they're desperate. They've heard a rumor. They've heard a miracle. They've heard that he healed someone. A person was blind or lame or deaf and he cured them. And so if you have any problem, let's go see who this Jesus is. So you've got the curious along with the desperate. But the masses are coming, but only a few are embracing this person. He was teaching them many things. So let's look at the parable proper. Verse 3 of Mark chapter 4. Listen to this. And I want you to listen and watch in your text the time listen and hear occur. In Deuteronomy 6 we have the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Pay attention, listen up. When my father, um, when I was a child and I was in trouble, uh, I, have a, I was raised Catholic, so I have a confirmation name, so I have four names. And he would blurt out those four names very loudly. And that, I mean, that was the walking down the, sh- the shadow of the valley of death, you know. <laughs> when I heard those four names, I was in trouble. And I listened very carefully, or, or it would be worse, right? Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And he was sowing. Some seed fell beside the road. And the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop of and produced 30, 60, and 100-fold. And he was saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. Listen, pay attention to this. Don't miss this. Thousands of people, he's sitting in a boat. Sitting, by the way, is the posture of authority. We stand behind pulpits. If you're a Toastmaster, you stand up. If you give a presentation in your work, you stand up, you talk. In antiquity, the rabbi sat down. That was the position of authority in teaching. So he's sitting in a boat, getting away from the crush of the crowd, so he can speak to these thousands on the seashore of northern Galilee. The point of the parable is simply this. The sower went out to sow. You'll see it twice in this text. That's the theme. The sower went out to sow. We're going to come back to it again and again. And he briefly explains some seed fell beside the road. Watch these prepositional phrases. Some seeds fell beside the road and the birds ate it up. In antiquity, a a guy would have a leather bag or a cloth bag with seed. It was a smaller area. Think of a home farm and he would broadcast that seed. Well, there were walking paths. There were animal trails just like there are today. And that's where you walk. That hard, compressed soil, nothing's going to grow in it. Each year um, I have the great team that takes care of our yard overseed my yard this time of year. And so they come in, they quarry it, and they throw seed everywhere. And a lot of that seed gets on the sidewalk and on the uh, driveway and some of it in the front of the street. And you know what? The birds smell it from miles away and they come and they just have a buffet. They don't even thank me. They just eat it all up. Uh, in antiquity, no different. That hard area will never produce anything. The second group, other fell on First, it fell beside, the second group, it fell on rocky ground. Here it springs up. We'll talk more about these in Jesus' explanation. 
Third, others fell among the thorns and choked it. So it's choked out because it's crowded by other root systems. And then other fell into the good soil. So it fell beside, it fell on, it fell among, and it fell into. These are very important prepositional phrases in the structure that Mark's doing. The sower is doing the same thing. He's just sowing seed. The sower came to sow. Where it lands is based on the receptivity of the surface it hits. Beside, on, among, or into the fertile soil. And then it produces a crop. And then he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Listen, tells the parable. Did you hear what I was saying? Now, this then transitions in verse 10 when he's alone. And this is an interesting text from Mark because he says, his followers along with the 12. So we've got the 12 disciples, apostles he's handpicked, but we also have a group. We don't know the number. Let's just guess that it's 30 people. So we've got 42 people and he's alone with them. Total guess. There's no, nothing in the text to tell me 30. Just a guess. Got it? Okay. So there's 42 people. They go, What's, what are you talking about? Why do you teach them in parables? So the simplicity of the story is easy to retain, but they don't get it. And they're asking, well, Jesus, why do you do this to these crowds? So the segue question then is for the hearer, we understand, we get insight into why Jesus does this. And verses uh, 11 and 12 are the hinge explanation of this parable. Now, let's look at those where he explains it. And he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, get everything in parables. So that while seeing, they may not, excuse me, so that while seeing, they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. Verse 11 and 12 in this parable is the key part of the sandwich. The sower went out to sow is the big idea. We're going to see it twice. But this explains the parable, not only what he meant in this parable, but how you need to listen to all my parables. So let's look at it carefully. To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. The word mystery in the New Testament does not mean a, a mystery novel, a mystery story, a whodunit. And not a mystery. Mystery in the New Testament means something that you didn't know and now has been explained or revealed to you. It's used four times in the Gospel records, 20 times by the Apostle Paul, and three times in the book of Revelation. And the word means you didn't know it and now it's been explained to you. Think about Paul being the one that uses it the most time, 20 times, where he's saying, uh, the mystery was revealed to me about the Gospel. I didn't figure this out on my own. God revealed to me the mystery of what this Gospel means. We didn't know what it meant. Now we understand the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We understand that mystery has been explained to us. Not it, it wasn't, in the sense, a mysterious story. Make sense? I didn't know it. Now it's been revealed. So Christ begins his explanation to you. These tw 12 handpicked and a group of disciples, to you, this has been revealed. So going forward, when you hear me teach, understand I handpicked you and I'm explaining this stuff so you'll get it. You'll understand that God has spoken. Are you listening to him? Do you hear him? Because he's spoken to you. Um, the parables reveal here the kingdom of God. To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. This is eschatological, something in the future. The, the baseline of the Bible is that God has revealed himself to man. God made man in his image to have a relationship with him, and man fell. 
in the story, as Lloyd says so well, there's no plan B. It was always plan A. He knew Adam and the woman would fall, and there was always provision designed. And from eternity past, God makes his image bearer and wants a relationship with him and her, and he says, I'm going to have to do everything for you. Will you listen to what I say? I can create the world with a word. I made you. Do you hear what I'm telling you? Or are you and I listening four times faster to other things? Or are you listening to what God says to you and to me? Are you willing to embrace it? Now, if you have a Bible with cross-references in it, it will probably have a cross-reference at verse 12 to Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. I want to read that cross-reference, Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10. He said, go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. He's speaking here of the unbelief of the Jewish people that God sent his prophets again and again, and they didn't get it, and they lived in sin. It's, this isn't a prevention or a disguising himself to the people so they don't get who Jesus is. They're in a condition of unbelief. And as he unpacks the parable, it's going to, oh, I see what he means about people that don't believe. They're not willing to listen because of certain distractions we're going to look at in a moment. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. Their unbelief prevents them from embracing who, who Yahweh Elohim was in the Old Testament. But now the kingdom of God has come, and he's speaking to his people. Well, let's look at how Jesus explains the parable in verses 13 to 20. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? Now, this, <laughs> these two questions kind of strike me a little bit in, in the you know, index finger in their chest. <laughs> Don't you understand this? How are you going to understand them all? When you first blush, it seems like he's a little bit abrasive to the disciples. Don't you get it? Well, he'll say later on, have I been with you so long? Uh, there may be a little bit of that there. But the two questions, do you not understand? Understanding has to do with hearing, listening, perceiving, comprehending what someone says. How many of us read a novel in high school or college and we didn't understand the storyline? And then the teacher or the test or we have to write a paper on it and we go, oh, I didn't know that the Red Badge of Courage was not about initiation. The Red Badge of Courage is about a stupid kid. Someone had to explain that to me before I understood what the story was really about. Jesus is explaining things to them with these two setup questions. Don't you understand? How will you understand? And now he's going to explain it to them. The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. When they hear, if you're a note taker, circle the word hear and understand this. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world 
and the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom the seed is sown on the good soil. And they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. The always deliberate Jesus is explaining this parable to them so that they will understand why he's using parables to teach the multitudes. God has come as the God-man, fully God, fully man. He's going to be here three years in, in Mark's story, very quick story. He's going to be gone. Did you hear what he said? The sower came to sow. God came to give his word. Nothing changed from Genesis 2. God came to give his word. The question is, do we accept it? Do we welcome it? Do we hear it? Do we embrace it? Or do other things take our attention? So the focus again, the way Jesus describes it, the sower sows the word. Now Luke refers to the seed is the word of God. Uh, Mark doesn't define it quite that precisely. He just says the sower sows. The sower came to sow. Matthew says the word is the kingdom. And if you know a little bit about the synoptics, each of them has an emphasis. Uh, Mark is about the servant. Matthew is about the kingdom of God. So it makes sense that Matthew would record the story a little differently. Not that Jesus didn't say those things, but you're compressing data. You know, you think about the, the gospel records, there's so much more we don't have here. There's other parables, undoubtedly, that weren't captured. And that's where John sort of laments, I suppose, if everything he said was written, that the books of the world couldn't contain it. Follow a life of 33 years of everything he did, it'd be quite a volume. So we have just these small snippets of the accounts that we are privileged to have in the Gospels. Now the four, four soils, we might call them attitudes of people. It's not the best way to explain it, but the soils are different the seed is the same, the one sowing the seed is the same, but the receptivity of where the seed lands is what the parable is illustrating. We have three negative and one positive, which again is illustrative of the masses. The masses come to Jesus and want to kill him. They want, a, they want a freebie, they want a miracle, they want a cure, they want help. The very few come to hear what he's really saying. So we have this three to one ratio in the parable. Verse 15, beside the road. It's hard. It's indifferent. Uh, perhaps self-sufficient. Satan takes it away. I have written here for that, these are the hardened people. The sower comes to sow, and some people are hard. I have a very close friend of mine who, when I talk about the gospel, he's hard to the gospel. He doesn't need it. He's self-sufficient. He's done very well for himself in life. And he tells me, Michael, that's your religious psychological crutch. He's told me that on more than one occasion. That's your religious psychological crutch. You need that. I don't need that. It's hard soil. Uh, the second one, verse 16, the rocky places. Um, I, I call these the intrigued but shallow. The intrigued but shallow. Um, the, the root and the, the analogy is very easy to understand. The soil on top of the rock, it's warmer than regular soil. The seed's going to germinate quickly. It's going to shoot up, but because there's no place for the root to go, the first time heat hits it, it, it's gone. It's a goner. And so he says, these are initially excited, but they don't last. Interesting, that word fall away is going to be used of the disciples, the 11 who all fall away. Same word. Jesus will say, you all fall away when you're persecuted. In fact, you, the, the very uh, chilling part of the gospel when Jesus is ascended and it says some were doubtful. 
I mean, they've seen everything this guy's done as well as being resurrected, and some are doubtful. We fall away, which in a way is a good reminder that you're going to have some doubts in your Christian life. We all do. That's okay. You come back to what you believe, your confirmation of your faith, not the experiences that challenge that. So the first one is the hard, the hard, let's call them the hard soil. The second one is the intrigued but shallow soil. The third one is among the thorns. Now, among the thorns has three subsets, and this one is interesting. The worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires of other things. So this thorn imagery is very vivid. And we can think of thorn bushes if you've done work in a lawn, and thorns are not only difficult to remove, but their root systems are very hard, very thick, and they run very shallow. And so you can overseed an area that's thorny, it's never going to produce good grass until you dig out those thorns because it chokes things out. So it's a very simple metaphor. The worries of the world uh, mean simply anxiety. And this got me into a bit of a rabbit trail, um, thinking, this is first century, what do they got to worry about? I mean, we're sophisticated. We have things to be anxious about. We have drugs to deal with our anxiety because we're so sophisticated. You know, anxiety's been around from day one. Worry and fear's been around from day one. Philippians 6.4, be anxious for nothing. Now, those of us who have anxiety, just be anxious for nothing. Get over it. It helps, doesn't it? No, it doesn't help at all. Matthew 6, 28, why are you worried about your clothing? Which is a very short section, but a long section. But um, when I was in grad school, I had to wear a suit every day. And um, I had these, khaki, it was khaki and navy. Some of you old enough remember those days. It was all khaki and navy. What we wore. And you had these cream shirts with, you know, red ties or whatever. And so every day I would, we would wash and I would iron my, my khaki pants and and uh, Cindy hated these khaki pants. I had about six pair of, four or five, six pair of them. And I literally paid like eight, ten dollars for these khakis. And, um, but iron, they, they passed, muster. And then I had this sport coat and whatnot. And uh, we would wash those things and iron them. And for four years, those pants held up. And when I finished grad school and we got a real job, it was like they disintegrated. And I called them my wilderness wandering pants. Uh, it was just a stupid experience that I had. And I went, you know, the Lord sustained the clothing I needed through grad school when I had no money. Why do we worry about what we wear? How many of us have stood in a closet, not trying to be sexist, and said, I have nothing to wear? And you can barely get a hanger in there. There's so many clothes in there. I have nothing to wear. What do you worry about your clothing for? Luke 10 41, forgive anyone named Martha. Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things. And just some, I mean, I can't stop. I wake up, my mind just goes. The pit in my stomach, anxiety weighs the heart down. I worry about my children, my marriage, my con- the, the money. I worry about my kids going to school. I worry about what they're being exposed to. I worry about the, the election. I worry, I worry, I worry, I worry. Doesn't amount to a thing. Last one, Luke 12, 26. If you cannot... Do even a very little thing, why do you worry? Worry can't add anything to our life. Now, I can read those verses until I'm dizzy. Does it make me less anxious? I think it's helpful, but some of us are given to anxiety. Some of us, that's where it goes. We start to worry and fear all the what is of life. Um, 
Jesus says that the worries of the world can crowd out the word of God. The second explanation is the deceitfulness of riches. These thorns are compared to competing issues. The first one being worry, the second one being deceitfulness of riches. Uh, Riches in themselves are fine, but if we put our hope in riches, if our goal is to build wealth for a specific reason, we're warned by Luke 12, 15, not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. It's a powerful verse to me personally. No, no matter what I develop and build, my life doesn't consist of that pile. We live in one of, if not in Tennessee, I've read that Williams County is the wealthiest county in the whole state. But you and I immediately compare ourselves to people who have a lot more and we don't feel wealthy. If you're able to live in a house and have a car and pay mortgage and put gas in your car and go to a game and go out to eat, and you're a one percenter whether you know it or not compared to the world population. And we still worry about our money. We worry about our money because we spend too much, because we're in debt, we're upside down, we compare ourselves. to. There's always someone with bigger, better, newer, more. I often say, I have no needs until I go to the mall. But I don't go to the mall anymore. I have no needs until I look on Amazon Prime. And I, oh, I need that, I need that. I put it in the wish list, and maybe it'll go away after a while. You do that? My wish list got 90 things in it. And see, why do you, I, well, I put them in there just to leave them for a long time, and eventually I go, I don't really need that. It's just a discipline. I don't need anything until I look at something else. Oh, I need that. A bigger, better, newer one. A shinier one. The worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, riches aren't bad, but they can be deceitful if that becomes our objective. Third one is the desires of other things. This is like the summary conclusion. These are all things that are like thorns when the word comes to us that choke out the word. We worry about things in the world, about the deceitfulness of riches, and about the desire for other things. Let's just call this the busy or the distracted person, the preoccupied person. So we go back to the big three. We have the hard person, we have the one who's intrigued but shallow, and now we have the distracted person or the preoccupied person. The net result of these three is unfruitfulness. The crop doesn't produce. No seed comes out. There's no result. The sower is doing the same thing, but the receptivity of the environment is completely different. Nothing happens. The last one is the first positive one, verse 20, on the good soil, they hear the word and accept it, and it bears fruit. Hearing is listening. They embrace it. They internalize it. They were paying attention, not distracted by the thousand other words coming at them. They heard that word, and then it says they accepted it, which is an interesting phrase that for you and me would be welcoming. They welcomed it. Um, if someone teaches you to sing and you want to be a better vocalist, you listen to your teacher. As you go to a financial planner and they say, well, let's do this and this and this, as, as Cindy and I have done. We learned all kinds of things we did not know. It was amazing. And they helped us. So we started paying less taxes and doing this with our money and stopped doing that and started doing this. It didn't cost us anything at all. It was just learning, and we welcome that instruction. If you're having a medical issue and you go to a doctor, and he or she says, well, we want you to try these things, but we're going to do some medications. We don't want to do surgery. And if you want to get better, you welcome that information. You say, I'm going to try it. I'll do it. I'll be a compliant patient because I want to get better. 
and this is all the same with the gospel. Did you hear it? But you got to welcome it. You have to accept it. And those who do will bear fruit. And the 30, 60, and 100 fold is an interesting picture because think of wheat or barley or grain. One seed goes in the ground, a stalk comes up. At the top is a head of grain with lots of additional seeds in them. So one seed produces a full head grain, and then that falls to the ground and reproduces. So there's a 3,600 fold. So, but it's one seed. The sower sows the seed. He's sending the message out there, the receptivity of the soil. Do you hear it? And do you welcome it? If you hear it and you welcome it, you will reproduce. Um, there's two layers to this I want to talk about in application. For those of you that don't know Jesus Christ, um, it's not what I'm saying, it's what the Word has said, what Jesus is saying to you, is that He's come, He's spoken to you, have you heard Him? He lived, died, was buried to confirm His death, was raised three days later. And any and all who put their trust in Christ and Christ alone are promised a free gift of eternal life. He forgives your sins, He welcomes you into His kingdom, you become one of His. It's the best deal ever offered in the universe. Nothing you can do will make him love you more. Nothing you can do will draw his attention to you. You have the response of faith. Do you believe in him? Have you put your trust in him? Have you put your trust in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation? That's the seed that was broadcast. God spoke creation, and he's been speaking ever since. This is not what he would say if he was here. It's what he is saying because he is here. And if you haven't come to Christ, the invitation still stands. He's tossed the seed your way. Will you embrace the seed? Will you hear it? Will it take root? Will you embrace it and accept it? There's no downside to this equation. Those who are hard, those who are distracted by life, those who are excitable but they fall away, don't matter. It's what do you and I do with it. Have you heard it? Have you welcomed it? Have you accepted it? Now, to think about applying this for the believer in Christ, and I scratch my head on this a bit, but I think you'll understand what I mean. You came to Christ at some point in time. Some of you might have come to Christ when you were a teenager like I did. Maybe you came to Christ in your 30s. Fill in the blanks. You came to Christ at some point. And maybe you grew for a while. And maybe you plateaued. And maybe it's been a... Sancti Most of our sanctification is kind of like this, right? It doesn't go straight line. I wish it did, but it doesn't. Um... Is it fair to say that when you and I learn certain things, like let's say we learn about what it means to be eternally secure, I know I'm saved for good. What it means that he'll always forgive me my sin. What it means, fill in the blank. Once we sort of check those boxes of the que big questions we have, what are we doing now? So when you read it, are you hearing it? And are you welcoming it? Yeah, yeah I kind of know that. Do you come to a sermon and go, you know, I pretty much heard all, and, and, and I got it. You know. And some of you do. Some of you have been believers a long time. But are you still learning? Are you still growing? Or have you become hard? I think it's a fair application. I think it's a fair question. I've shared with you, I'm doing a reading plan. Uh, Richard, one of our elders, doing it with me. We're reading the Bible through in 90 days. It's pretty exciting. Um, it takes a little bit of time. Uh, and you don't want to fall behind. I'll warn you on that one. Um, but I'm, I hit Psalm 94 uh, this morning, so I'm like halfway through the Bible already. So November 14th, I think, is my terminus date if I've lived so long. And so we'll get it done. Um, 
my, my penchant is to pull out pens and pencils and start taking notes and drawing in my Bible. Um, but to read chunks and synthetically look at big sections has been very helpful to me to get the big picture. And I'm seeing things I've missed all these years. Or I probably saw them before, but I forgot them. Doesn't matter. And I'm seeing these big, broad strokes of how God's word has come to us. Are you listening? Are you still hearing? Are you still welcoming? Or have you sat on your theological, biblical laurels and said, I got it? I know you've never heard me say this before. God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. I need God's word all the time. You can't do this apart from it. You can't do it. And when you open it, he's still speaking. As if it was the first time it was written, he's still speaking to you. Now we've got to do some homework. We've got to learn how to do it. We've we got to study a little bit. I know that's a, bad, that's a negative word today, study. Ooh, I don't want to study. I hate school. Well, get over it. You got a lot of gray. You know, they, they, they guess, guesstimate that we use like 5% of this gray matter. Some wag neurosurgeon said when he, take, when he does brain pathology, he goes, I've yet to see one that was used. We got a lot of horsepower up here. It's, a, it's like a muscle in some ways. You can still learn. Listen, I'm almost 60 and I'm still learning. My friend Art, 90, he's still learning. So are, are you. They get up and put your nose in here. And yeah, I read things and go, what in the world is that about? And sometimes I take that sidebar and do a little homework on it. Sometimes I just keep reading. You know, when you and I stumble across a passage we don't understand, um, our tendency might be to say, well, you know, the Bible, it doesn't it make sense. It's irrelevant. It's an old book. It doesn't apply anymore. That's just showing how ignorant we are. That's all it is. There's a lot more there. And sometimes we may not, hey, what if we don't ever know it all? Welcome to the human race. You'll know it all when you cross the threshold to the next one. You see him face to face. Then you'll understand. And between now and then, we're all going to live in a fog. So that's all the more compelling to me. Why well, I want to learn and grow. God's Word, God's Spirit, I, need, I can't do this in the human flesh, which is a good thing. You don't have to be as smart as some scholar. I don't have to be as smart as some of my graduate school professors who were ridiculously smart. They were so smart it was evil. And one that had a photographic memory and knew 13 languages fluently. That's just wrong. Let's <laughs> just shoot people like that, you know? It's, it make the rest of us look terrible. I mean, it's like, gosh, don't even be, I mean, I just quit, you know? You hear the guy preach, you go, why am I even trying? This is ridiculous. I, I, I can't go there. He communicates to you and me the same way. It's a baseline. Do you hear? Do you listen still? Or have you become hard? Or are you so distracted with life you don't have time for it? The worries are choking out your world. Yeah, I read the Bible once. I know most of what I need to know. Well, I really am excited about it. I lost my excitement. You know, those soils to me are illustrative of a lot of different layers. No pun intended. How do we respond to the word? And I hope you're good soil. And I hope you want to grow. Here's the greatest part of it. If you want to grow, you will. And if you want to be used, you will be used. The beautiful part of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ is you and I aren't re responsible for results. 
You know, the world is P&L. The world is, you know, profit and loss. How many calls? How many numbers? How many sales transactions? How many new fill-in-the-blank? What's your job? And every one of us who works in the real world has some measure of our job performance. When it comes to the gospel, your job performance is not on numbers of conversions or even numbers of time that you and I share the story. Our job performance is are we faithful to tell the story? The result's his problem. Think if you were a salesperson and all you had to do was make the pitch but never close the deal. And you make a really good pitch and you get paid for the pitch. That'd be a pretty sweet job. We don't care if you make any sales. Just go out there and make 20 calls and tell them about the product. I made 20 calls today. Here's a, here's a bonus. The world doesn't work that way. It's kind of the way Scripture works. God is asking you and me to be faithful with what He's given you. Do you tell your story? It's hard to tell a story in an area like this, isn't it? And everybody knows everything. But that's what He's asked us to do, to reproduce. And it's kind of cool, actually, when you tell your story, just to see how He's going to use it. Will it reproduce 30, 60, 100? I don't know. You don't know either. He's not asked us for the results. He's asked, is that soil willing to hear it and welcome it? And he does the rest. Father, we love you for loving us first. We thank you for your word that is true. We have heard the word of Christ today in this parable, simple though it may be, profound in its application. For those here who don't know Christ, my prayer is that your spirit works in them, your word works in them, and they come to acknowledge their need and respond by faith. For those of us that have known you a long time, that we might grow, not become hard or worried or distracted or choked, but we'll continue to be fertile in learning and growing in the person and work of Christ. You came, you spoke. Are we listening? In Jesus' name, amen.